Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Well, our theme for the summer of 2022 has been the long light of summer, finding rest, wonder, and joy. And here we are at the weekend that traditionally marks the end of the summer season, back to school time, a time that always filled me with dread when I was in grade school and high school. Still today, all you have to say is back to school sale, and I have a sinking feeling in my stomach. I can smell the cardboard of my book satchel, and yes, it reeked of cardboard, and it was supposed to look like leather, but I, nobody was fooled. I hated school. I really, really hated school. But, you know, how come I hated high school and grade school so much, and then I fell in love with it, and I got a whole bunch of degrees. And, you know, I'm always wanting to get another one. Well, because college classes were not like the classes, at least in how they felt in grade school and high school. Um, they felt somehow like what I was learning mattered. It felt important to my life. And suddenly, education was fun and enjoyable. Now, I get that all of that is a subjective reality. I felt like what I was learning had meaning and purpose for me, even though a little known fact with some of my knowledge, you can't order a pizza in Old English. You, <laughs> you just can't for several reasons. I don't know why I only love dead languages. But I get interested in things like, why can't you order a pizza in Old English? I like the history of ideas. When can people think and do certain things in certain ways? The same, I would argue, is also true for work, whether you hate it or you love it. It is about meaning and purpose. Here we are at a moment of the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. Whole sections of restaurants are closed due to staff shortages. Businesses are opening later, closing earlier due to staffing shortages. Some small businesses are giving up and closing their doors because they can't get enough people. As we come out of the pandemic, many people who can retire are retiring rather than going back to work, and many who can work remotely are demanding to work remotely. Something is happening, and I think that something has something to do with why I stopped hating school, seeing the worth in what I was doing, finding value. That insight was summed up well by the American writer Studs Terkel when he wrote, quote, most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirits. Most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirits. Well, as many of you know, I grew up on a farm among farm people and uh, 
we traveled constantly uh, trying to find work, going back to the farm, going off to factories for a while, et cetera, et cetera. And when I was young, the common phrase for working off the farm was public work, as in uh, she went off for public work and come back with a car and, and such as that, which fairly well summed up what farmers were looking for back in those days. Public work was about making money, then, if at all possible, getting back to the farm as quickly as possible. Public work was considered dull, repetitive, demeaning, and lucrative. Public work was about working for people you had no respect for, making things that made rich people even richer. In those days, the lucky, mostly men and mostly white, got into labor unions. My father was in the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, Iron Ship Builders, Blacksmiths, Forgers, and Helpers. And the term brotherhood uh, in the title kind of says what they were in those days. The expectation was men and mostly white men. Nowadays, the Boilermakers are part of the United Steelworkers Union, and actually, you may not know the whole title, but it's Labor Day weekend, so here it is, the United Steel, Paper, and Forestry Rubber Manufacturing Energy Allied Industrial and Service Workers International Union. And there are commas in there, and I think I got them in the right spot, right? And nowadays, yes, they are open to everyone for membership. Now, my mother and her generation also worked in factories, but women didn't get into labor unions back in those days. And that gender discrepancy goes way back. As a matter of fact, what I want to do is celebrating a little bit about Labor Day weekend is to talk about the 1912 Lawrence, Massachusetts textile strike, better known as the Bread and Roses strike. Now, in the early 20th century, Lawrence, Massachusetts was the center of textile manufacturing in the U.S., and the mills had drawn immigrants from all over the world. Workers there spoke over 50 languages. Also, due to the nature of the textile machines of the day, women and children with their smaller hands and arms were most of the workforce. The only labor union that admitted women in those days was the Industrial Workers of the World, the IWW, better known as the Wobblies because so many of their members spoke so little English that they were said to wobble, 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 talk like that by the bigots of America. Now, that's the setup for the, uh, the Bread and Roses strike. The phrase, bed and roses, occurred in a speech by a women's rights activist there on the screen, Helen Todd. Bread for all, roses too, she demanded. Then a St. Paul, Minnesota native, uh, who I think, alas, St. Paul has probably forgotten, is James Oppenheim. He took that phrase and turned it into a poem published in Songs for the New Age. And then that became the lyrics for a song called Bread and Roses that is now associated with the labor union. Bread and Roses has come to represent the dual call of human beings seeking both livable wages and a flourishing, spiritually fulfilling life. Bread and roses. Now, one of the heroes to emerge from the Lawrence strike was Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. 
She was a member of the Industrial Workers of the World, and her fiery rhetoric led her to be called the Rebel Girl. And there was a song written called Rebel Girl that uh, was written by the guy we're going to hear about at the end of today, Joe Hill, uh, who licensed it in order to raise money for uh, the IWW. Later, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, by the way, uh, as a, a result of the popularity and fame she gathered from speaking at the strike, uh, went on to uh, help form the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. So basic health and safety measures, fair pay, shorter hours, that was the call. The results of the strike were not encouraging. Well, let's fast forward to today. Yes, the IWW did like uh, their capitalist pig art, right, from the time period. There's Rebel Girl. You know, you, know, you couldn't sell singles back in those days, so you sold sheet music, right? So there's Helen off to form the one big union. Well, today, well, we can say, yeah, I mean, eventually, I mean, 25 years later, um, there were child labor laws passed. Um, eventually, women were allowed into unions that were not being constantly busted by uh, the FBI. But we shouldn't let ourselves off too easily. An article in Bloomberg by journalist Claire Sudath says it all. It's getting harder. Yeah, you've seen that headline, haven't you? It's getting harder to be a, a woman in America. Women hold two-thirds of student loan debt in the country. I hadn't known that when we talk about uh, forgiving student loans, but yes, women hold two-thirds of student loan debt. Half of women aged 55 to 66 have no retirement savings. Again, that's a very high percentage no savings for retirement. And the women to men's earnings ratio has stayed in the 80 to 83% range since 2004. The disparity just goes on. Which sounds a little bit dispiriting, doesn't it? Uh, sounds like, uh, well, for a lot of women, there's very little bread and no roses even today. Also, we know the list goes on and on in attacks on American women today. Elizabeth Gurley Flynn would be turning over in her grave. So back to the question of what is being asked of us today in terms of bread and roses. Heavy borrowing to gain an education, jobs that provide no retirement or other basic benefits, and that dismal history of women making way less than men. Not much bread and no roses. Why is it still more than a century after the bread and roses strike that the words studs, turkles said are truer now than ever? Most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirits. Now, I've been a manager for a long time, first in the academic world and then in the congregational world. Our academic industry, as, as it's usually called, the religion business, as it's often called. Well, so I, I've 
learned a little bit, I hope, over those many years. And one lesson that I think anybody who's ever been in management knows is that some people don't care and they won't care no matter what you do. Okay, that's fine. Some people can't fail and won't fail no matter what you do. And then there is the vast middle of those extremes, people who do care and will do good work if they have the chance to succeed. They will succeed if they believe in what they're doing. As a manager, the goal is to minimize that former, of course, and you want to maximize the latter, but again, most people are somewhere in between. That's one thing I've learned from my life, that almost all human beings want to do something for other human beings. It's just how we are. When we feel like we're doing that thing that we feel like we ought to be doing for our fellow human beings or the planet and living things, that's our happy place for most of us. In most cases, if we feel we're doing that, we have that spiritual rise to us. The contempt and hatred that farm families had for public work when I was a kid growing up was in contrast to how we felt about farming. Everybody works on a farm, that goes without saying, from the smallest to the oldest. One of my mother's earliest memories was sitting under a tree at the end of a fence row, watching her mother harvesting wheat, before mechanization, of course. Everybody worked on the farm, but not really, because as some wag or other pointed out, it's only work if you don't want to do it, right? So farm work wasn't work, it was how we lived. And that actually is good for the spirit. It's telling that there's a good old phrase that uh, many hands make happy work. That's been around in English since the 1300s. So it's been a long time. Hey, let's pitch you in together. It's a good old fashioned saying, work that's clear, meaningful, has purpose. It's not work then, it's being alive. Work that feels like play just isn't work. It's having a life. Well, what does labor look like today in this 50 year low for unemployment? What does laboring even mean today? Certainly it doesn't mean what it meant for my parents going off to factories. What would a philosophy or a theology of decent work look like? Because we don't have one clearly articulated, do we? Reflect, as I've mentioned before, trust in institutions is at an all-time low. I've mentioned that before except for labor unions, who score the biggest in terms of percentages of trust. Now, I wonder why that is. Well, I suspect that one reason is partly to do with that us factor. Unions are about solidarity. It's about sticking together. It's about having to trust each other. And we know that people are in it for the right reasons. Because Studs Terkel got it right. Most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirits. If you haven't read that brilliant book of his called Working, 
you know, do yourself a favor, Studs Terkel working. It's a brilliant, brilliant book because he was able to ask people deep questions about what they really cared about. And what's apparent in that book, and what I've learned in my life of watching farm life die off, well, the thing is, managing human beings is about finding your own joy and everyone else's. People don't want to work, but people do want something valuable to do in their lives, something of value. And so that's the deeper question for those of us who believe in liberal religion and liberal society is what is a liberal view of making meaningful work? And I don't think we really have an answer. Shouldn't our laws and our cultural assumptions reflect our liberal values? Values that, yeah, the inherent worth of it and dignity of every person. There's your roses. There's your flourishing. That's what female workers were asking for back in 1912. I can honestly say that my mother never got either bread or roses from any of her public work. And uh, think about your mother and your grandmother. How did it work out for them? Hmm. Often not very well. But that's what we are called to do is create a situation in which we have both bread and roses. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.